business tells a story. Or should. Welcome, everyone. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Okay, here's the problem. You're trying to drive change in your organization. It's the very key to your survival. But you're up against the usual opposition from people who, well, don't like change. It's human nature. But you need to sell them on your program. So what do you do? You tell them a story. Robert McKee is the premier screenwriting guru. Over the years, he's taught the basics of storytelling to thousands of students, including more than 50 Academy Award winners. But he also works with business executives, showing them how to strengthen their communication skills through the same rules that hold true for movies and books. I talked to Robert about what he teaches in his Story in Business seminar. I think you'll be fascinated by what he has to say. So here is my conversation with Robert McKee. Well, Robert McKee, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. First of all, full disclosure, I have taken your course over a long weekend, and I thought it was excellent. I learned a lot about screenwriting in that short time. When, did you, uh, when did you take it, Bob? It was years ago. It might have been as long as 10 years ago in Los Angeles. In L.A.? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. But uh, the thing is, that was fiction. Yeah. My question to you is, how can these elements of storytelling that you teach in your courses be applied to business? Well, um, the underlying form of story, whether it's a fiction or nonfiction, whether it's a documentary, uh, an article in the newspaper, whether it's um, gossip over the back fence, the underlying form of story is, um, is universal. And so the, the principles of a story that a fiction writer would use, of course, uh, translates into the same uh, principles of story that a, um, a parent uh, might use when talking to their child about uh, their behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so th- this form is universal, eternal, <clears throat> and um, profoundly human. And so whenever you're trying to communicate with another human being, whether it's um, informal face-to-face, the way uh, uh, people, uh, co-workers working on a team um, might talk about the work and their process and what they're trying to achieve and um, the mistakes they've made and the, the new direction they want to go, all of that can be in a story form or a manager uh, talking to an employee uh, to solve a problem, all the way up to advertising, TV commercials, um, uh, negotiations, when you're making out a deal, whenever there's two people negotiating, there's two stories involved. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, break, let's, let's break that down into some of the elements, some of the places within the business world where this is valuable, starting with the internal yeah. aspect of it. I write yeah. about an industry that is undergoing significant change right now and is requiring employees to go along with that change against the usual human 
uh, desire not to go along with change, obviously. Of course. How can storytelling be used within the organization to get people to go along with new initiatives that may shake them up, may change their jobs, and just change their world within their, within their uh, daily business life? Well, management who's trying to uh, change behavior uh, has to have uh, a vision. And it isn't enough to uh, recite data to people and say, look, in the past there was 22% of this and 12% of that, and right now that's been down to 18% and 7%, and in the future we got lifted up to 33 and and 55%, whatever. Those kinds of that kind of data um, changes nobody's behavior, and so the manager has to have a vision, and they have to be able to say, look. Here's where we've been, and put that historical story uh, past into a story form that dramatizes it conflict by conflict, turning point by turning point, positive, negative. This is where we've been, and make certain that the person nods and understands that, indeed, we agree, that's the history. Then the manager says, and here's where we are now. There's this, and we try that. This works. This doesn't work. And lay out the the story of the present tense. And again, we've got to make certain that the person, the employee you're talking to, agrees. Yes, this is where we are now. Then comes the vision. And here's where we could go. If we do this, if we do that, and you tell a hypothetical story about a, a future uh, that is based on the past and the present, and that vision has to be expressed in a vivid and compelling story. And if you do that, you will touch that employee deeply, and they will be inspired uh, to move into that future. But if you simply give them a set of data goals, and this is what a lot of managers do. They say, here's our goals, and those numbers affect nobody's behavior. But if they can take those goals and dramatize it into a beautifully told story of this is the future, if we do this and that, then people are moved to act. Do you find some resistance within the business world because it is so goal-oriented, starting with the CEO and the chairman's responsibility to the shareholders to have a certain goal in terms of their stock price appreciation? And that goal-oriented mentality filters all the way down through the organization. Well, it's not a question of whether you have a goal or not. Of course you have a goal. It's a question of how do you express that goal to people. Do you express it as a set of numbers, mm-hmm. or do you express it as a story? If you put that, uh, that goal into a story form, you see, story fits the mind. What all managers, what all executives have to understand is that the, the, their target is the human mind. And the mind is a story-making machine at every moment of its life. It's constantly taking this vast input of stimuli, eliminating 99% of it, and then taking that important 1% of things that are changing and composes a story out of it. That's how you get through the day. Mm -hmm. That's how you understand where you've been, where you are now, where you're going. The mind makes story. Therefore, when you talk to people in story form, the mind absorbs that story, understands the vision and the goal, and then wants to work uh, toward that. And so it's not a question of goals. It's a question of how do you express those goals. 
as data or story. Yeah. And when you put it into story form, the, the mind of the person you're talking to absorbs it um, and, 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 and is motivated to act toward it. Okay, let's talk about the use of story externally in a business. There are several places where that happens. It happens in yeah. marketing. It happens in uh, terms of uh, looking for money from investors to help, your, to help your company along. And it happens when your company is caught in some kind of a public image crisis. So oh, once yeah. again, is the same precepts of story hold true there? Uh, absolutely. That, as I said, that form is eternal and um, profoundly human. So, for example, marketing. I mean, there's, there's, there's four levels of marketing. There's branding, where you tell a story to create a positive attitude toward the corporation in the public. Then there's marketing, where you tell stories in order to uncover new markets or expand existing markets for a certain product line or a, 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 a services in general, like a law firm. But then... You advertise, and an advertisement is designed to create desire for a specific product. And then you close that off at the point of sale, where the salesperson uses story in order to sell the car <coughs> or the appliance or, or whatever. And so at every point, branding, marketing, advertising, sales, <coughs> the stories become more and more specific um, until the deal is finally clinched. In, um, in, in, in public relations, when there's a scandal, um, then the storytelling has to be really good <laughs> because, because <clears throat> the scandal is a story. This is what happened. And they did this and they did that and they broke the law or they, they cheated or they did that, whatever. And there's an accusation that comes in the form of a story. The only way to um, defeat that is to replace that story with your story. Mm -hmm. And today, <clears throat> uh, because of the Internet, um, you cannot uh, BS your way through these things anymore. Yeah. And, and you have the, – the wonderful thing about story, you see, to make a story really work, you have to admit the negative side. Most public relations is all about positives, all about flattery, all about creating a positive glow around the company or the, or the product. But a story says, you know, things move positive, negative, positive, negative. A story admits that the negative side exists, and then hopefully it climaxes on the positive to move people to positive action. But it's very difficult for public relations firms to admit that the negative side exists. But maybe and when there's, yeah. a, maybe yeah. that's when the there's only, a scandal, they have to. Pardon? Maybe that's the only thing that will make the public sit up and, 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 and notice because we are now basically inured to these messages because they're so, re they're so relentlessly positive. We, we basically dismiss them exactly. as, as the public, do we not? And if we suddenly heard somebody admitting the negative side, maybe that would make us wake up and listen for the first time. I believe that, and I teach that. Uh, one, in my, my Story for Business seminars, <clears throat> I, I make them understand that um, today more than ever, uh, people are, are perfectly aware of the dynamic of life and that, the, and that life swings back and forth between positive and negative charges. And if you do not 
express the negative to them, they know you're lying. Yeah. Now, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for money to start your company, I would think story would be essential in that respect, correct? It's all you have. Yeah. I mean, what does an entrepreneur have? The future, okay? And facts about the future don't exist. Not yet, okay? And so you can't, you can't use data. I mean, you might have some research data that you can weave into your story. But all an entrepreneur has is a story about the future. If we get this funding, then we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and that it, and um, and uh, it'll be a success. And so entrepreneurs are somebody with a story uh, in their briefcase, and that's what they're selling. They're selling the future. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some differences, other than not, between fiction and what I guess you refer to as the purpose-told story. I mean, in some oh, yeah. ways, fiction is often described as creative lying, and you're certainly not suggesting that the business world adapt that method of getting its message across. So where are the differences that have, we have to keep in mind in adapting storytelling, element, storytelling elements to the business world? Well, first of all, fiction is not creative lying. <laughs> you don't lying think so? Is a, lying is about fact. Fiction is not about fact. And so you, you can't lie well, in, in, a, in a story because there are no facts. I mean in the terms of making up characters that don't exist in the real world in order to tell a larger truth. Well, but they do exist in the real world by metaphor. Every character in a fiction piece is a metaphor for humanity. Human beings exist, and they have this kind of psychology. They have these desires and so forth. And so stories are metaphors for life. And a story is, is not in any sense a lie. It's a, it's a work of art. It's a metaphor for reality. But more importantly, a business story is quite different. The purpose-told story is actually two stories. <clears throat> There's the story that the storyteller tells, which has a protagonist. It could be the company. <clears throat> could be the person themselves. Um, it could be somebody who symbolizes the customer. But the story that you're telling has a, as a, as a protagonist, right? At the same time you're telling this story, you're creating another story that implicitly in the listener, in the consumer, or whoever the audience is for your story. And so there's, there's a, a, a parallel story that goes on in which you express that in, in the life, of the person you're telling the story to, there is a need. You have a problem. There's something that you need. There's some threat to your life, perhaps. <clears throat> there's some desire that you have. You ha there's a need or a, a, a problem. Mm -hmm. And as you tell the story, you begin to show the person that you're telling the story to the way out of that problem, the solution to that need, <clears throat> the satisfaction of that desire, and then when the story's over, you prompt the listener to take an action. They make a purchase, they invest, they take <clears throat> an attitude, positive attitude in branding. You're simply trying to get them to change their attitude uh, toward the company. You, you're trying to get that person then to act, to do something positive for you. And so you tell the story uh, of a, a, a whatever protagonist of the story that you're telling, at the same time, you're creating in the listener a personal experience of their own story 
because the purpose told story is designed to make people act, to do something. It, otherwise, it has no purpose. But it has, See, to, it, yeah, it has to start with you finding some basis of commonality between the storyteller and the person who's being told the story, right? Yeah, there are two parallel stories. There's the one you're telling, and then there's the one you're creating in the living experience of the listener. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that experience that they're having, their sense of, I have a need, here's how I could fulfill that need with this product or this service, and I'm going to buy it. It's that living story that you're creating in the listener that is the purpose of the first story that you're telling. Yeah. Uh, and so you, what you're trying to do is activate people. In fiction, the audience is passive. In fiction, the audience simply sits back and absorbs the story, hopefully, you know, with interest. And it, as a result, it may enrich their lives as they come to an understanding they didn't have before. Or they laugh at something they never thought funny before. But they're passive. But the listener to a purpose-told story in business, you're trying to activate that person to ultimately uh, uh, take an action uh, that will be a, you know, a benefit to, um, to the company or to yourself. Um, and so it's very different. It's, 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 in a sense, the business story, the purpose-told story, is more complex. Um, it's doing two things instead of just one. It isn't just telling a story. It's also motivating people to action. And, and so it takes careful you know, design and consideration and execution of the business told story. One of the reasons why I think often business um, executives resist story is it's difficult. Data is easy. You just throw a spreadsheet to people and say, there's the, there's the data. You know, mm-hmm. we gotta, we got to change those numbers. That's easy to do. Telling a story takes creativity, takes hard work, it takes great intelligence, and it takes a little risk because well, when you you know when you when you tell a story you're kind of sticking your neck out and um, and people may or may not react the way you want. But I wonder how much of it also is kind of a nascent talent. I mean, we talk about people as so-called born storytellers. I mean, if, if that were 100 percent true, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. But is there no. a certain uh, element of talent that has to start a, a, an executive who just has that knack from the very start? There is. There's no question about it. But there are degrees of that. And um, there are some people, you know, like Jack Welsh, who just were born storytellers, and and uh, their success was you know, a product of that. Um, but everybody has some storytelling talent, virtually everybody. Yeah. Um, and what I try to do is take whatever talent people bring to the table and give them the skills and the understanding of story to enhance that. Look, it, it's so actually, it's just a matter, of, in a sense, of having the courage to be natural. When, when, when four guys, four business people are playing golf, right? Mm-hmm. The storytelling starts on the first tee and it never ends until the last green, <laughs> right? And people know how to tell stories. I mean, they trade them back and forth over lunch, over golf, whatever. It is the most natural form of human communication. Some people tell a joke better than other people, but nonetheless, okay? We all tell stories in a natural way when we're relaxed. 
Right, but when we're in the board, when we're in the boardroom, maybe that changes. That's I mean, exactly. you get so up you there, to... you get up there in your courses, and you have kind of a of a no nonsense attitude about you when you're teaching. But we're in a business world where there is a lot of BS, a lot of buzzwords, yes. a lot exactly. of received wisdom, and the and the feeling that we have to use certain phrases and, and and euphemisms in order to get our point across. Do you face that when you, when you're up against these business clients, you have to kind of wash that out of their brains and so that they can tell clear stories and clear language? Yeah, one of the one of the great problems that I face, and I I, I try to I certainly overcome in my teaching, is making it clear making clear the difference between narrative and story. Where a lot of executives get confused is they don't understand the difference between narrative and story. All stories are narratives, but not all narratives are stories. So, for example, a, an automobile being put together down the assembly line is a narrative. It's a process. It's and then, and then, and then. That's not a story. It's a process. Um, lists are not stories. I mean, all the teams in Major League Baseball are not, that's not a story. That's a list. Right? Mm -hmm. um, the history of, um, of all the families that have come to the British throne since the Norman invasion in 1066 is a chronology. It's a narrative. It's not a story. So what's missing is some kind of a structure? It's not dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's just additive. This, 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 this. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There's no dynamic. There's no positive, negative. There's no conflict. There's no, there's no <clears throat> change in value charge of you know, success, failure, rich, poor, winning, losing. There's no, there's no dynamic. And it doesn't progress. Stories build. It gets more and more difficult, demands more and more risk, more and more jeopardy. The pressure gets greater and greater. Stories are shaped to build. Uh, a, a narrative is simply flat. It's all on one level, and then, and then, and then, and then. And often when business people think they're telling a story, they're reciting a narrative, and they don't understand why that doesn't have any effect. Yeah. You teach us the importance of conflict in storytelling. Is that the same in the business world? Of course. Of course. And as I said, there's a, often a, uh, in, in PR terms, there, there's, there's a, what, what I call a, a negaphobia. In business, there's a fear of anything negative, of pointing out problems, of criticism, of understanding that we failed, there's, there's, a, there's a dreadful fear of anyone talking in any way about the negative, dark side of life. And as a result, corporations develop blind spots that are like a, like, you know, a bomb just waiting to go off deep in the corporation, and they won't face it because somebody, you know, because to do so, somebody has to express the negative. And so this, this great aversion to any kind of admission that things are not right, that there's problems. Um, and so we have all these, you know, we, and talk to euphemisms, you know, we, we, we talk about issues, <laughs> not, not crises, not problems, issues. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of language in business, which is designed 
to conceal the truth. We hate the word problem. We never use it. We use opportunity or challenge in place of it all the time. And isn't that bullshit? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I, a CEO, a CEO who's successful uses the word problems or even worse language than that. <laughs> well, um, yeah. But, but people in middle management, those are the ones who are prone to euphemisms mm -hmm. because they're just trying to keep their job. And they, they, um, uh, they, they, they <clears throat> you, you were talking about earlier about the fear of change. Um, and it is true. Many people, maybe most people, fear change and would rather live in an uncomfortable status quo than face the possibility of change. Uh, because the status quo they've accommodated themselves to, it, it's, it's not, it's unpleasant, but they know how to survive. Yeah. Well, Change challenges that. Yeah. Well, Robert, we're just about out of time, but uh, mm. uh, leave us with some homework, would you? Would you name a recent movie that serves as a prime example of excellence in storytelling? I very much enjoyed The Butler. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautifully told story. And it's very it's fascinating because uh, the protagonist of that story is or tries every way to be passive. He does not want to, uh, conflict in his life. And because he witnesses the, the, the brutal death of his father as a boy, and, um, and so he does everything he can to avoid the conflict. But finally, he realizes that he has to, um, to step up and uh and uh, challenge authority and it, it's a beautiful story and the uh, <clears throat> the writing is superb and the acting is brilliant and so the butler is a, a wonderful piece of, of the classically told story of the reluctant protagonist great advice and great homework thank you so much robert mckee for these uh, very valuable tips and how we can apply storytelling in the business world thanks for being with us you're quite welcome. Thank you, Bob. Thanks. That was screenwriting guru Robert McKee. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. Actually, you can expect the next one on the following Monday because of the Thanksgiving holiday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch over 1,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.